Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church Podcast. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. Anyway, Christmas has arrived, certainly, and I'm thankful for all those that have done uh, such a good job of getting the stage ready and working so hard this week on that, and it's nice to, uh, spend, to see that. Um, I know for many of you, and I, of course I joke when I say, when did it arrive for you and your family? I know for many of you, maybe a few weeks ago, maybe for some of you, you had to wait till December 1st. You know, that's kind of my mindset a little bit, December 1st. My wife and I, we have a little bit of conflict in the home, though, as to when it's appropriate to get out Christmas decorations, when it's appropriate for me to hear, you know, Here Comes Santa Claus or whatever song it is that, that she wants to play. And uh, there's a little bit of tension there, but we went to marriage retreat, remember, at the end of November. And so we were able to work it out, and uh, we started Christmas early this year. So maybe actually didn't work it out. Maybe she won. I don't know. But uh, we had our tree up and all of those kind of things, of course. And there's so many traditions surrounding Christmas. And I recognize that not everybody celebrates it. Uh, maybe the way that, that you grew up celebrating it. For me, uh, my family, certainly there was areas and aspects of Christmas that to me, and this is the funny thing I think about it, is that for me, unless certain things happen, it doesn't feel like Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? Does anybody else have that in here? You know, it doesn't quite feel like unless something happens. And I don't know, it's different for all of us, right? For you, it might be, I have to have this certain cookie, you know, whatever it is. And that cookie represents, this is Christmas to me, you know, or whatever it is. We to feel it. Maybe it's putting decorations on a tree. Uh, for me, there's so many different things. Uh, of course, now we have our own family traditions and our own family things. But growing up, certainly frosting sugar cookies with my mom was like one of those things, you know, we'd frost them and put little colors in there and we do all this stuff, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but I think for me, anyway, one of the things that uh, was, is a big part of my Christmas experience or making me feel like Christmas has arrived has been Christmas movies. Anyone else like that? Christmas movies. There's certain movies that are just like, I have to watch this or else it doesn't feel like Christmas. And I think last year we waited. For example, let's just put out there Home Alone obviously, right? Home Alone, you know, came out in what, 1994, I think? I was 11 years old. I mean, that was big time, you know? And, and uh, VHS and all of that. And, and, uh, and for me, it became, later on, it became just a Christmas tradition. And so last year, we like, we waited until Christmas Day, and we actually watched a bunch of them with the kids. And, but uh, we've, uh, you know, you have to, that was one of those things for me. It's just one of those movies you got to watch. Uh, one of the other ones for me growing up as a kid was the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Now, how many of you know that movie? How many of you have seen it? Put your hand up. Okay, less than I thought, actually. Well, you need to watch it. I'm just going to put it out there because I'm going to talk about it here in a minute. So It's a Wonderful Life. Now, that's a movie that for our family, uh, we, all, we weren't a big family of movie watchers, but it seemed like every year at Christmas, whenever CBC or whoever it was was broadcasting it, we would watch this movie together. And as a kid, the movie kind of scared me, and you need to watch it to find out why. Uh, but as I got older, I began to appreciate the, the, the message of it a little bit. But did you know that this year, actually 2021, is the 75th anniversary of this movie, which is hard to believe. But it's had a lasting impact on many people, and especially around the Christmas season. Now, the movie is, uh, is an interesting thing, and there's a lot of, uh, uh, I mean, you need to, you probably should watch it, but I'll just give you a brief overview of what takes place in it, because basically it's about a man who reaches a very low point in his life. 
Uh, George Bailey's his name, and he reaches a low point in his life, so low that in fact, he goes out to a bridge on a cold wintry night, and he stands on a bridge, and he's contemplating taking his own life and jumping off a bridge into a river that's just full of ice, and it's just flowing, and a really dangerous situation. And he goes there, and he's contemplating it. And in the middle of all of this, uh, an angel comes from heaven and basically reveals to George Bailey what his life would look like if he never existed. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always, I've thought about that. You know, I wonder what uh, all of every, you know, all my friends and family, I wonder what their lives would be like if I never existed. And obviously we kind of have that in a contemplative, like, you know, poor me, woe is me kind of a feeling, right? Like, uh, nobody likes me, everybody hates me. No, you know, everyone would be better off if I didn't exist. Well, in this movie, he actually gets to experience it. And what he discovers is that the town that he grew up in and the town that he loved, Bedford Falls, is reduced to a town called Pottersville, named after a real terrible, terrible guy uh, there in the town. And the town just becomes like the nice, lovely, uh, you know, Main Street becomes basically a red light district. And it just becomes a terrible place to be. And he sees all of this and his wife is miserable. And all of these aspects are just terrible. And he reaches a point in the movie where he cries out after he sees all of these terrible things and how the world was. He cries out in the movie. He says, I want to live again. I want to live again. Maybe you would remember that. I won't try to imitate uh, James Stewart for you today, but he says that. I just want to live again. And at that moment, he finds himself back at the bridge, standing on the bridge. And he realized that it was all, you know, this angel that came and basically revealed this to him. Well, guess what? After that experience, he goes home and now all of a sudden he's very grateful for the simple things of life and he's thankful for his family. And even though he's still in a difficult situation, and by the way, the town comes around to help out and everything, not, not a spoiler. It is a spoiler. Sorry. The town helps him out and, and uh, they all realize how much they love him and you should still watch it. Um, but all of this happens and, and he's grateful and he's thankful and it's a really great little movie, and I think you should uh, take the time to watch a classic. Yes, it is in black and white. They made a color version, but it just doesn't look that great. So watch it in black and white. And it's, it's a really, it's, it's a great thing. Now, ironically, this is just a side note, ironically, two years earlier, the main actor was dropping bombs on the Nazis during World War II. It's just kind of an interesting thing when you see some of these actors. He was in the military, came out, and filmed this movie. But the point of the movie is this. Your life can make an enormous impact on other people. All of us, your life makes an impact and a difference in the lives of other people. And to me, in some ways, this is a reflection of the Christmas story that we focus on during this time. Because more important than any traditions, uh, any lights, any memories that we may have, the primary redeemable aspect of this season is that we remember the arrival of the One. The one who came, the one who truly makes a difference, not just in your life and my life, but in the entire world. That's who we remember during this Christmas season, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, sadly, like the character at the beginning of the movie, there are many people in our world today that think that the world would be better off if Jesus had never been born. But the truth is, without the gift of Jesus Christ, we truly are people without hope. We have no reason for uh, the season. We have no time to be joyful. There is absolutely nothing that we could uh, really have anything good during this time except for the fact that Jesus Christ came to this life or to this earth. And I'm so thankful today, and I hope that you're thankful as well, that this is a time that we can set aside to celebrate and remember the gift of God's Son. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks, we're going to take some time, have a bit of a Christmas series together. I'm calling it The Gift. 
And we are going to be looking at the announcement of the gift. We're going to look at the arrival of the gift. And we're also going to see our answer to the gift of Jesus Christ coming to this life as well. What we're going to do, as we always do every Christmas season, we'll look at some relatable and some uh, connection with the individuals that are involved in this true story. Because so many people in this story teach us so many things about surrender, and they teach us so much about uh, giving ourselves to this incredible gift that God sent from heaven to earth. And so why don't we do this this morning? Let's have a quick word of prayer, and we'll get into today, today as we talk about the announcement of the gift. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity to come today and hear from you. A chance for us to quiet our hearts amongst the busyness of the season, the challenges of the season. I recognize that for everybody, uh, or that not for everybody, Christmas is a, is a good memory. For some, it brings up um, poor memories. It brings up painful memories of the past and of, of uh, dysfunction. But Lord, above all of those things, above all of the trappings and the materialistic point of this season for so many people, as Christians, we set aside this time and we redeem this time for you as we remember the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make that first and foremost in all of our minds, that we would teach it to our children, that our hearts and even our actions would reflect the gift that you've given to us through your son. And Lord, we pray that you meet with us now, help us to understand and to hear your word with joy. In your name we pray, amen. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ is covered in all four of the Gospels, and each of them cover them in their own unique way. I'm going to give you this just briefly. In Matthew, we know that it is the Gospel of the Kingdom. And so in Matthew, Christ is presented to us as the promised Messiah, the King of the Jews. In the book of uh, Mark, he, it is the Gospel of Miracles. And it's a very fast-paced book. Mark is probably my favorite Gospel. It's just action, one after the other. Things always happen quickly. You'll so, see that uh, in the book of Mark. And, but in that, though, it's, it's written primarily to a Roman audience, and he portrays Jesus as the suffering servant, and he does that and reveals his deity through the miracles that Jesus does. In the Gospel of Luke, it is a historical gospel, and here he emphasizes the humanity of Jesus Christ. He portrays uh, Jesus as the Son of Man, and Luke here is very, very specific in his illustrations of Jesus. And I'll tell you what, I really relate, and most Christians relate very well to the book of Luke and just all of the detail that is given to us. And then John, of course, is the gospel of belief. And John, of course, was writing to the world. He wanted to point out that Jesus truly is the Son of God, and as a result, he is equal with God, and he is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. Now, for our study that we're going to be in, at least today, we're going to primarily focus then in the Gospel of Luke, because he gives us some of the clearest details that surround the birth of Jesus Christ. And so today, like I mentioned, we're going to look at the announcement of his birth. And so would you turn with me to Luke chapter number one this morning, Luke chapter number one, and we're going to look at this account together. And first of all, I want us to notice, if you're taking notes today, you can write this down. We notice that the announcement of the gift was an unexpected announcement. It was an unexpected announcement. No one was waiting. Nobody knew, and especially to the one that it was announced to, they were not expecting that it would happen that day. I want you to look with me at verse number 26. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Notice that. Who was he sent from? From God. Unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Well, right here, we are introduced to a woman by the name of Mary for the very first time. And we're introduced to her here by allowing us to experience 
a special visit to her by a special angel at a specific time. And the angel here is called Gabriel. Now, it's important for us to note that even though to Mary at the time the announcement was unexpected, she was not planning on this happening, for the angel Gabriel, this was the appointed time that he was to come and make this announcement. We understand this from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, where it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now the notice here where it says that when the fullness of time was come. Now that is a direct quote and a fulfillment and a connection to a prophecy that Daniel made in Daniel chapter number 9 verse 24 through 27 where he gives some specific timing as to when the Messiah would be crucified and as well of course we understand that to connect into the announcement of his birth. Now Mary, I want you to understand, Mary did not know what was going on at this time. But the angel Gabriel certainly did because the angel Gabriel was the one who announced this to Daniel some 550 years earlier than that. Now, this is the, so this is the same angel that is coming and he's saying, all right, the time has finally come. And now he is announcing to uh, Mary that something big is about to happen. Now, Gabriel means the warrior of God uh, or the man of God. And he's only mentioned four times in the scripture. Interestingly enough, all the times that Gabriel is mentioned, uh, he, uh, he is um, delivering a special prophetic message, and each time it is directly connected to the fact that the Messiah was to come, that Jesus was coming. So I'm sure when this assignment came up in heaven, no one even bothered to volunteer for it. <laughs> it's Messiah time, it's Gabriel. He is the one who's going to announce it. And so he comes, and he's a special angel, and he announces to Mary this special thing. But I also want us to notice that Mary was a very special, specific person as well. Look back at verse number 27, where it says, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Mary here is specifically called a virgin, both in Luke and in Matthew's gospel as well. The Greek word is parthenos, which means a woman which has never had a physical relationship with a man that could result in a pregnancy. Now, this is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy some 700 years earlier in Isaiah 7:14, where it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which of course we know that means God with us. Now, the reason I'm stopping on this subject of Mary and how it specifically identifies her as a virgin, because this is something that is very, very important to the gospel message. It is very important to the gospel message. See, for many people today, and I'll even say this to you guys, some believers that are out there, this is one of the first things that they try to attack. They'll call her a a young woman. They'll call her a maiden, perhaps. They'll try to imply that there's no possible way that she could be a virgin, as the Bible mentions here in this passage. But the Bible is very clear, both here in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. And it's important for this reason alone, because the birth of Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, required a miracle. For it to happen, for it to have the impact that it has for us today, it needed to be a miracle. See, Jesus could not be born through natural processes as a man. Because remember, sin nature is passed down through that natural process. And so it needed to be different. It, 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 uh, he needed to be born by a miraculous act of God so that he would not be part of man's corruption. 
And this is so critical for us to understand because if we have any hope at all of escaping corruption and to live forever, then our faith must be in an incorruptible Savior if we are going to be covered by His incorruption. I think we need to understand that the birth of God's Son required the birth of a perfect nature. Righteousness, perfection needed to be secured so that it could stand up and that it could cover uh, all people in perfection and in righteousness. I think if we were to be honest, and I think you guys recognize this today, that no one is perfect. Uh, We have all fallen short. Romans 3.23 tells us that. And so, because of that fact, in love, God took action. And aren't you thankful for that today? He took action, and in his action, he did what was necessary to secure righteousness and to secure perfection so that we would have righteousness and perfection to pursue and to be redeemed by And so Jesus, in this whole process here, took every step and he performed every act necessary to save us from our sins and from death. And Jesus did it from beginning to end, from birth to exaltation. And God sent his son into the world, not through a man, not through a woman, but through a miraculous act of his own upon this Mary, who was, in fact, a virgin. That's why the virgin birth is so, so critical to us. And it's also the reason that it's so criticized. Because it is the key, because without the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, we have no perfect Savior. And without a perfect Savior, church, we have nothing. We have nothing at all. And so that's why it mentions here that he was born to a virgin, Mary. But I also want you to notice there at the beginning of the verse, again, it says that she was a virgin who was espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. So she was a virgin, but she was also engaged to be married to this guy named Joseph. Now, the Hebrew betrothal or uh, time of engagement was way different than today. You know, today, you know, you think about somebody who's having a rough time in their engagement, you know, and they take the ring off and they throw it in his face, you know, and I'm done. You know, uh, in, this, in these days, when you got engaged, I mean, it was a done deal. <laughs> that, that was a done deal. From that point on, the Uh, One, the husband was to spend a year preparing his home for his new bride. I think that's kind of cool. And he was to build or whatever he's supposed to do to prepare it. And then, of course, during that time, they were to remain physically pure and separate from one another in that sense. They were to uh, preserve and be ready and prepared for the time of the marriage. It was basically like being married, though. It was a big deal. And if someone was unfaithful, If somebody strayed away from that bond of betrothal, they could be publicly stoned. They would be divorced in a just scandalous, disgrace kind of a way. And so she was about to be married. She was a virgin. We understand that. And so this is the details behind who she was. But also I want you to notice in verse 27 that uh, he was of the house of David. Of the house of David. Now this is interesting because... Joseph, her husband-to-be, was of King David's lineage, which, of course, fulfilled prophecy. But also Mary was also of his lineage as well through his son Nathan. Again, these are all prophecies that would be fulfilled. Look with me now at verse number 28, just giving you some background into what is happening here. Verse number 28, And the angel then came in unto her, and this is what he said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. So he comes to her and he says to her, you are a highly favored 
woman. Now, there's a tendency in Bible-believing and Bible-preaching churches to downplay the role of Mary. And the reason that we do that is because the Catholics promote the role of Mary to a level that it should not be. I mean, they, they make her almost as equal with God. And so as Bible believers, we kind of shrink from that and say, I don't know, you know, we try not to put as much of an emphasis uh, on here. But I want you to see in this verse here that Mary was someone who was highly favored. Do you see that there in the verse? She was highly favored. Well, what does that mean? Highly favored means to peruse with grace, to compass, surround with favor. It means to honor with blessings. Here's what I want us to see is that Mary was somebody who was favored because God's grace was upon her. She was favored because the Lord was with her. Just like all of us today are favored people because God is with us. He is on our side. It also says, though, that she was blessed among women. Did you notice that? And I want you to notice it does not say she was blessed above women. She was blessed among women, meaning she elevated woman to a very unique level of honor. And so he comes to her and he says to her, the Lord is with you, you are highly favored. And I want you to put yourself in Mary's shoes for a moment as the wheels are beginning to turn. Okay, what is happening here? This guy comes in, he says, uh, I'm highly favored among God. What is about to happen? We'll look at verse number 29. And when she saw him, it gives us an indicator here how she was feeling. She was troubled, troubled at his saying. And she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Basically, she's afraid, she's worried, and she's like, what kind of person, what kind of guy comes and gives me this kind of greeting uh, that I'm highly favored uh, among, among God here? And so she was troubled. She was troubled. And I think we have to realize that whenever the supernatural touches the natural, there's a little bit of trouble that takes place in our hearts, isn't there? There's a little bit of nervousness, and you're like, okay, what is actually happening here? What is going on? And so she is in fear. She's wondering, what is he talking about? Well, this is where we come to our second point this morning, which is where we see a spectacular announcement. So it's unexpected. She's not expecting this to come, but now Gabriel begins to give her something that is truly spectacular. Look at verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Isn't it great that in our moments of fear, even fear of what God is doing in our life, God always comforts our hearts. He comes alongside of us and encourages us. And Mary here is trembling because of the angel. She's not sure, like, what in the world is happening? What is he trying to say to me here? And the angel says, hey, don't fear. Don't fear. I love that phrase, fear not. Uh, this week, my wife and I had a really cool um, opportunity. We heard from um, a girl who was in our youth group some 10 years ago. And she just randomly reached out to us through the church website and uh, has been watching a few of our services and just randomly reached out and said, I'd like to get in touch with uh, Pastor Paul and Miss Jay. And I mean, we haven't heard from her in 10 years. And, and really, we were wondering what happened because she kind of fell out of church and, and uh, we just didn't know what was going on. And this week, we had a chance to have a, a Zoom call with her and just spend some time with her. She doesn't live in Vancouver anymore. Um, but basically, she shared with us that just in the last couple of months, God has just revealed himself to her again and has gotten uh, her attention. Some of you have had that happen in your own life where God, you know, you were maybe far from God for a long time and then God got your attention all of a sudden. And you know what that's like. And that's what happened in her life. And, and I'm so thankful that God does that. He doesn't leave his children alone. He comes to us. He reminds us of who our father is. And she went through that experience, but as a result of, of beginning to pursue God again and turning to Christ again and getting uh, some things in her life straightened out, it brought a great deal of fear into her life. 
because she realized the implications of following Christ. And she explained to us some of the things in her life and what God was doing and the fear that came. But then what she explained is that over the last couple of weeks, how God has just brought her a peace into her heart. A peace and all that fear is gone. She, she knows now why God led her to this place and, and some real clarity has come into her life. And that's just amazing. And Jeanette and I were just sitting there just so in awe just listening to this story and we're so excited. Uh, and next time she visits Vancouver, we're definitely gonna get to see her again. And, and that was just an encouraging thing. But she was, I think, going through what Mary was going through here. God spoke to Mary and this fear and this wonder, like what is gonna happen here? But then God comes along and says, hey, don't fear. Something great is gonna happen and I'm involved in it. I'm with you. I'm walking with you through this. And so Gabriel sees the fear. He comforts her with these words, but now the spectacular begins to happen in verse 31. He says, behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Okay. Now this just took a turn for the interesting, right? For Mary. I mean, it's great, right? Isn't it great when God comes and says, you're my child and I love you and I forgive you. But then when he begins to tell us what's going to happen, that's when the fear really starts to hit. And I think for Mary, things are starting to, the wheels are starting to turn here for her. And so he says, you're going to have a child. It's going to be a son and you're going to name him Jesus. And if that wasn't a shock, he continues in verse 32 and 33. Uh, he says, he shall be great. This son shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Okay, so we go from, you're gonna have a child, which you can think, okay, yeah, I'm getting married here pretty soon. We're gonna have a child and all that. Uh, okay, that's all great. But then he begins to describe what this child is gonna be. And now it starts to get a little bit heavy. This is not gonna be a normal baby. This baby's name is going to be Jesus, which means Jehovah uh, is salvation. And notice there in the verse, he said that he is going to be great. That's the Greek word mega. That's where it comes from, uh, meaning uh, he would be great in all things, in virtue, in authority, and in power. Galatians says this, uh, sorry, Colossians chapter 1, 17 uh, describes him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. We read that this morning. Nicely read that just a few minutes ago, and uh, that, that's the point that he's trying to get. God is going to be great as well. He said he's going to be the son of the highest, Hebrews 1, 8 says, uh, but unto the son, he said, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom as well. He will rule and reign a kingdom that will never end. Revelation says the seventh angel sounded. And there were great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now think about this. This is the description of this Jesus. This is the description of this baby that would be born to Mary. This is a big deal. <laughs> this is a big deal here. And he says, all of these things that are going to happen, and Mary, in her mind, is beginning to see this is not an ordinary baby. This is not an ordinary announcement. This is the announcement of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, the long-awaited the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who she, from a child, had prayed for the Messiah to come, and now he is going to come, and she is going to play a role in his life. But I want you to notice next in verse 34 that something happens to Mary that happens to most of us when Jesus begins to speak about what he wants to do in our lives. We begin to doubt him. Look there at verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, 
seeing I know not a man. Now that term, know not a man, is in the physical sense of, of, of a physical relationship that can result in a pregnancy. I think you guys understand that. Here's what I want you to see. Mary was the first one to question the virgin birth. <laughs> she was the first one to question it. And so she says to Gabriel, how is it possible? And again, she reiterates her virginity here for us to understand. I've never been with a man. I can't. How can I be pregnant? Well, that's a good question. Gabriel has the answer here by way of a supernatural supernatural announcement. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Have you ever wondered how it happened? I remember as a kid, you know, you hear about the virgin birth and you sit there like, okay, wait a minute. You know, you've been through grade six biology and, you know, okay, I have an idea of how things kind of work. How is this, how is this going to happen? Well, Gabriel explains it. Now, this conception was unusual in the fact that in verse 31, if you remember, Gabriel had said that it would take place directly in her womb. Now, again, let's go back to grade six. Maybe it was earlier for you. I don't know. I think it was grade six. I learned about all this stuff, you know. And in grade six, you learn that, you know, this conception and all this, how this happens, happens in the fallopian tubes, and then there's this whole process that takes place. But here, Gabriel says, something is going to be placed in your womb. It's going to bypass that initial stage. And that reveals, again, to us the miraculous side of what is taking place. This is the, this is the spectacular, this is the supernatural part of it. Verse 35 says that there is a holy thing that would be placed directly in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the supernatural here. And, and interestingly enough, this is where people get off the rails a little bit. They, they, they have a hard time with this. I just want to stop for a second and remind us that if you are trusting in Jesus Christ to save you from this life and to save you in the life to come, that heaven will be your home for eternity, then we most certainly can believe that God can make this happen, the creator of the universe, okay? And that's what's happening here. Something supernatural took place. I mean, just as the body of the first Adam was formed by God with uh, no genetic connection at all to either father or mother, in the same way, the second Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, was directly formed by God with no genetic connection to the parents. You say, why is this important? Well, since the dust of the ground that Adam was formed out of has been cursed because of sin, uh, you and I, of course, are contaminated from the bondage, uh, through the bondage of corruption. And as a result, something unique, something special had to be created and placed in the womb of Mary. Nothing less than a special creation was taking place here. Otherwise, Jesus would have inherited the physical defects and the sin nature of his parents. And remember, if Jesus is God, then there can be no sin in him at all whatsoever. This was a miracle orchestrated, overseen by God the Father, the creator of all things. So understand that there. That's what's taking place. Well, Gabriel continues in verse 36 when he says, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age. By the way, that's a miracle in itself right there. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, verse 37, everybody knows that verse, right? You probably quoted it, and I've claimed this over my life, you know, where nothing shall be impossible, but it's connected to the birth of Christ. 
It's connected to the uniqueness of the virgin birth and what it represents for us. And so Gabriel reminds us about her cousin Elizabeth, who was much older, who had been barren her entire life, and how she miraculously was carrying a baby. John the Baptist, the one uh, who would leap in the womb when Mary came by just in a, in a few, uh, few weeks later from this. And uh, would, would uh, again, be the one, the forerunner that would go before Jesus Christ. And he reminds her that with God, nothing is impossible. And it's a reminder for us today that, that truly, with God, nothing is impossible. And talk about a lot to digest. You can imagine just sitting there having this conversation with this angel. To imagine what it would be like to experience the announcement of the Messiah in this whole situation. But as we close this morning, I want to just pull out one quick thought for us in verse number 38. I want us to notice Mary's response to it all. Now, if you think about it, what would your response be to this? I mean, we just had a baby shower yesterday, right, here at the church, and Lauren's got a couple of babies <laughs> coming up here. And uh, I-, I can imagine, Lauren, your response, you know, should you've had a- someone show up and tell you all of these things? <laughs> I mean, a few months ago, you know. I can imagine. I- you probably would have been shocked. I know I probably wouldn't have handled it very well. Like, hey, get out of here, <laughs> you know. What are you talking about? This doesn't seem right. Uh, you know, I would have shaken my head. I would have slapped my face. Like, is this real? Like, what is going on here? But Mary is somebody that I believe one of the reasons that she was chosen for this incredible task is is because I believe she was so responsive to God when he spoke to her. And we see that in verse number 38. I want you to look at this real quickly here. And Mary said, behold the handmaid of the Lord. She's identifying herself. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. And then she says this, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Notice, no other words were necessary. Mary fully surrendered to the will of God in that moment. I want you to see that she accepted her position before the Lord. And this is something, by the way, these things are something that all of us must do. You need to accept your position before the Lord. She says, I am the Haman, I am the servant of the Lord. She accepted her position. She says, I, I don't need anything else. I am the servant of God. So many Christians today can learn from this simple statement that we are the servants of God. And then I want you to notice something that is huge. She consented to the will of God for her life. Notice what she said. Be it unto me according to your word. We would say it today. All right, you say it, (laughs) make it happen. (laughs) It's gonna happen in my life. And what she was doing is she was consenting to the will of God. Now, this is huge for us today because this is a place that every single one of us needs to be in our own lives. We need to be people who consent to the will of God. You know what that means? That means we have a position of acceptance. We say, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, I want it to happen. Lord, whatever you want to do with me, I want to see it. Lord, be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me according to what your will is for me. And that is the call that we are given today. This is what God desires for us. Mary didn't know everything that was going to happen. She didn't try to pass it off. She didn't say, God, maybe there's somebody else out there who you should use. She didn't complain. She simply took what God was saying, and she willingly consented to the will of God. And it's such a powerful thing for us today, because I think too often we resist the will of God rather than consent to the will of God and say, yes, Lord, this is what I want to happen in my life. 
A man by the name of William Barclay, who I'm just going to say I do not agree with him on a lot of things, just so you know. Theologically, I do not agree with him. So this is not my endorsement of his entire life, but I endorse this quote. You ready for this? He said this, the world's most popular prayer is thy will be changed, but the greatest prayer is thy will be done. And Mary prayed the latter. That's what Mary prayed. Man, that rung true with me this week. How often do I say, Lord, I realize you have a will for my life, but I also kind of have an idea that I'd like to see happen. And so, Lord, how about we just change it to my will and let's just make it work out. And then everyone will be happy. (laughs) No, no, no. The Christian life is a life of surrender to God and saying, Lord, whatever your will is, I want to be a part of that. I want that to happen to me. Guess what that means? In the hard times, we say, well, this must be your will for me, Lord. I accept it. I accept it. That means in the good times, in the joy, when there's spiritual victory, when God asks us to do something hard, when he asks us to do something that's outside of our comfort zone, when he clearly says, this is what I want you to do, we say, all right, I don't understand it. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why you want me to do this. I see see danger ahead. But God, I know if you've led me to it, then I accept your will and I consent to your will for my life. What a powerful truth from Mary, who was just a normal Ordinary woman who was surrendered to God. And because of her surrender to God, she experienced an incredible opportunity to follow him. But it's connected to her surrender to the will of God in her life. You know, this is my prayer for us, church family. Out of all of the announcement, out of everything that we see here, the one thing that we can pull away and the one thing that we can take with us today and we can put into practice today is this is that we need to willingly surrender ourselves to God's will for our life. And it's my prayer that even in the middle of unexpected and spectacular announcements, when God begins to work and speak to us in a unique way, that we will consent to his will. In fact, we'll pursue it, we'll want it. I don't think Mary was the kind of person who just was like, oh, oh, there is a God? Oh, okay, sure, yeah, I'll do this. No, 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 she was someone who walked with the Lord. So when God spoke, she was ready. And that's what we need. We need to walk with the Lord. We need to be ready for God to speak to us. And then when he does, we will respond in the same way. I wonder, how have you responded to God revealing his will to you in the past? How have you responded? Do you respond like Mary or have you responded with resistance, trying to push away from it? I want to encourage you this morning to determine to learn from her example and respond to God's will in your life with humble submission. Well, we do want to thank you so much for tuning into the message today. And if it's been a help and encouragement to you in any way, uh, we would ask that you share the podcast. You can easily do that on either social media or maybe just uh, text the link to a friend. But like I said, it's our mission to help others find and follow Jesus here in Vancouver. Uh, all across Canada and even around the world. And so you sharing the message today can really contribute towards that. Also, we would love for you to make a connection with us if you haven't already. And so the two best ways to do that is either by liking our Facebook page, that's City Baptist Church, or following our Instagram account, Advanced City Baptist. And of course, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca. We do have all of our past sermon series on there available for you to stream, uh, past services, uh, worship, and just lots of other content and resources there to encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with God. 
But once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. We are looking forward to next week's message. We love you. We're praying for you. And we're here for you.